Welcome to the Untold Design Stories, episode one. This is fun. This is a complete experiment. I'm Mindogas. I'm the host, and I'm the program director at OnDeck for the recently launched Design Fellowship. Uh, and I'm joined today by a couple of the actual early founding fellows for the program. I don't think the world needs another podcast, but having met some of the folks that are, are joining the program, I realized I had access to some incredible designers who have a wealth of knowledge, and I wanted to find a way to, to share some of those stories. So I'm joined by Misuk Ji, who recently accepted a role to join Live Auctioneers as a director of uh, product design. So con congratulations. And Dmitry Nekrasovsky, who's a senior product design manager at HashiCorp. Welcome both. I'd love for you to both just quickly introduce yourselves. Thank you for inviting us. Um, this is a really exciting opportunity uh, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mindagas. So I'm Dimitri. I currently lead a product design team at HashiCorp, which is a cloud infrastructure um, management vendor have been doing product design for a little bit over a decade, leading teams for the last five or six years, and just very excited to be part of the incoming cohort of fellows of ODD. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this. A couple of learnings from doing a ton of interviews of the potential fellows and why the fellowship exists. There seems to be this quite a big gap in terms of when folks move from IC to management and leadership. So I wanted to take this time and just hear some of your stories, because to me, it's clear nobody ended up in design and then in management and leadership the same way. There's the, everyone has a unique uh, perspective and a story. How did you both land your first role in design? That's a question I always love exploring in, in these conversations, because no two paths tend to be the same. And <clears throat> I know there's a big discussion. It, it's tough for the kind of graduating or the incoming generations to, to land their first role in design. Um, curious what it was like for you. And if, if you feel like it was easier now or back then, yeah, I would love to dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I can go first. So I don't have a traditional design background. My background is in computer science and then engineering for a little while in industry, then going back to school to do a master's degree in human computer interaction. When I was about to graduate with, with my degree, there were really not a lot of opportunities out there for really anything that related to what we now call uh, product design. There were a few roles in what was called usability engineering, a few roles in IA, and then roles in graphic design and such in agencies that I was completely unqualified for. So it was a real slog to figure out how to find my first role and even how to position myself for the marketplace. And I was just lucky enough to have reached out to a few folks who were already uh, doing the kind of work that I wanted to do and cold called and get some interviews as a result of that and get my first role as at what was called at the time an information architect at an agency that was a part of IBM. It was challenging. I wouldn't say that it was more challenging than it is to break into a break in as a junior right now in the industry. 
I think it is incredibly challenging for junior folks, and I have all kinds of empathy for junior folks trying to land their first role right now in the industry because there there is just so much supply. There are so many people coming out of a variety of different backgrounds and programs, and really not a lot of organizations are willing to give these people their first break. I always try to push wherever I go for the junior level recs to be open because I think it's just incumbent on us as design leaders to to do our part in giving junior people their first break in the industry. Yeah, so I, I like I'm little I'm little older than you, Dimitri. So when I started, there were not that many people who even knew how to use Photoshop, and I I was very lucky to be in that to be in that generation. I was an artist and I finished my master degree of fine arts and that's why I came to New York City from Korea. And our original plan was going back to Korea and get a professor job somewhere and becoming an artist, continuing my uh, life as an artist. And just biggest problem when I finished my school, the biggest problem was I was really like crazy in love with New York City. So someone like me who's coming from very homogeneous culture in Seoul, just New York, just like the, the, the diverse culture, the rich, the red of like just creativity, just I just didn't ha- get it enough. So I made a decision to stay here for a couple of more years to get it out of my system. So I had to get a job. Otherwise, how could I survive here? So that's how I became a designer, very lucky. I was able to get a job very quickly. I only took a few computer graphic courses when I was in graduate school and that landed me to a job at a small company that produced like physical products actually. And they sold them at Urban Outfitters Target. And I was able to start my career as a graphic designer doing like branding, logo and product, physical product design. I was good at very sketching ideas. That's how I started and long to make the long story short, one thing I want to, I always try to emphasize when I talk to people who start their career is that this is something I had like several rips in my career, like a few years after I got picked up by a creative director who really loved my work. And I, I, I was hired at Razorfish. It was really big well-known company at the time for doing digital stuff. And before I landed with that, at that job, I was actually, my, when people saw my resume, I was at a very small shops and was really like the work I did was there were pretty like low quality work. But what I did was I spent my own time to create really, really like good portfolio. I exercised typography. I made like a personal projects. And, and when I created something, someone in the market finally noticed my work and I was able to work at Razorfish without having that much website experience. And after that, I had like few other times, I had similar experience. Someone like GCD somewhere saw my work that I published and they liked my work and they contacted me. So I think that's what I always try to recommend young designers. Just you got to spend some time to make your work better. And when you continuously spend your effort, you'll get there. Just don't 
think that your work from your job is going to give you a better job in the future. You need to spend your own time. Yeah, it's <clears throat> a great point. Is there anything you would do differently about your career path if you had the chance? Of yeah, I think I would take more risks. I spent over seven years at the same organization at one point in my career. It was a great journey. I learned a lot there, met and got a chance to work with all kinds of great people. But arguably, I, I could have grown faster by considering other options at a certain point after being there for a little while than I did. And I think that there was... There was definitely uh, a little bit of a an insecurity, a little bit of a an unwillingness to push my comfort zone at that time. It just felt comfortable and it felt good. But if I were to go back, I think I, I would definitely look for other opportunities at a certain point in time. For me, becoming a mother was like a really unbelievably challenging experience. And I was really not ready. I think I was still, I think the problem was that I didn't really have other women leaders who had young kids where I was working. Like that's first time when I realized that a lot of women just disappear around the age when they start having kids. I know that a lot of women still stay at their jobs as well, but overall my industry at the time, just like I didn't have any woman managers, women managers who had kids. There were some, but they didn't have kids or they were not married. And so I didn't clearly knew that. I, it's almost like I didn't really realize I need to prepare for my job when I had a baby. I was like preparing for raising a baby, but not really understanding what I had to do for my career. So when I had a kid, it was, it was a nightmare for several years because I stayed, I did not want to leave my career. I really cared about my job. I really also wanted to succeed in my career. So doing both, making sure that the baby's alive and also growing my career at the same time was just the most difficult challenge I've ever had. And I have a great partner, like uh, my husband does more than 50% sometimes a lot of times, but still that was the biggest challenge. So whenever I see anyone who's about to have a baby in general, like I actually get a little bit nosy. I actually reach out to them as much as I can. And I'm more like really try to help them prepare. And at the same time, I took a choice to do both which was really hard. And mm. I think that's why I got sick and I, I had to leave RGA and take a year off. But I think that people can take time off. That's when I learned that at the time. I left my job I loved because I was so sick. But after the experience, I realized that I'm the one who was not smart. I can actually, everybody can take some time off. It's okay. Don't worry. You're not going to be behind. You can come back. You're just like that. As long as you spend some time, just make sure you keep up with new things. So I wish I can, I knew, I wish I was smarter to manage work-life balance and then also don't get so anxious about my career. It's okay to take some time off. Yeah. So that's what I would do. 
that's what I would change if I could. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great point. And actually ties, ties in a, a little bit with your point of taking risks. I think there's still this thing, and it's not specific to the design industry, when there's gaps on people's CVs or there's somebody stayed somewhere for just a year that's being frowned upon or questioned when, when like hearing you both talk about that, like you never know the motivations and the kind of what's behind those things. And often those gaps can be uh, times of huge personal growth for people. So yeah, I, I always, in my days and as a recruiter, I never used to look down on seeing gaps or people jumping around. I think asking the question and having the conversation, you learn, you hear those kind of stories, like what you two just shared. It just, yeah, wanted to make that point because it's definitely a conversation that, that keeps happening. And curious, what do you think makes a, a great manager? There's two parts to this question. What do you think makes a great manager and a leader? And who was a great manager for you and, and why? So that's a very good question because I actually think about that a lot. And I think about a lot of my managers, my bosses who I worked for, worked with in the past. And one thing that's been like, one thing that I've been realizing recently is that there are no best uh, managers or leaders. I think because we are all human beings. And I think that when I think about my managers, when I was younger, complained about how not great they are, like complained about their them not doing things that I wish they could have done. And what I'm realizing is that that's something that I started seeing. Nobody's perfect. And even your leaders, as long as they're thoughtful and they understand, they are open to hear what others are uh, dealing with. And as long as they have that, like, you know, that ability to reflect and if they need to change, if they have ability to change and adjust, I think that's the great quality. And also not every manager is good at every situation. And I definitely experienced that. I was very good in one organization. And then when I went to another organization, certain things didn't work it out very well. And sometimes I was like, hard on myself but when I left when I got a clear view of what was going on I realized that my there was a misalignment like uh, I was not the right fit for that company's uh, vision or whatever so I, from that experience I re-look at my old managers and leaders and I'm like seeing this and realizing that we all try or try to do the best and we learn a lot and we all make mistakes and we are all human beings. And as long as we really just try to improve more, be thoughtful, and also understand how much you are aligned to the organizations or are not. Because if you are not aligned, you should make a decision to leave or do other things. As long as you have ability to see that and ability to adjust yourself and change and help others, then I think that's a great leadership quality, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I would agree with uh, Misuka 100% in this in terms of good leadership. Certainly there are commonalities, but so much of good leadership is contextual. It's contextual to the organization. It's contextual to the, the team that the leader leads. Some approaches are more effective with some team members. Some approaches are less effective with some team members and their personalities and their working styles. 
And I think it is a lot about doing your best, about being flexible, being willing to learn as a manager and as a leader, having a growth mindset. And for myself, I was uh, very influenced by a former manager in the sense that I'm someone who has a personality that's pretty reactive, shall we say. I, I like to respond to things quickly. I like to move quickly. I like to uh, see progress happening. And if it's not happening, I, I tend to start wondering why it's not happening and get concerns. And working for this person was extremely influential on me because he really showed me the value of time as a tool in a manager's toolkit and the value of taking the time to make decisions, the value of taking the time to reflect on the right approach for dealing with manager managerial challenges and the value of giving team members time to work on things, whether it's performance challenges or stretch goals or whatever it may be. So that really helped me become a better, less reactive leader. Yeah, I love that. And, and actually both of you mentioned very similar things in one of the qualities, one of the main qualities is the ability to recognize that you need to keep learning and growing. That's one of the things that I really love. I don't know whether it's specific to designers or not. Maybe it's because design is still such a relatively new industry. I, I don't know, but I've noticed that as a quality in design leaders. I don't think I've had one conversation where somebody said, I know everything. I'm a great leader. I'm a great manager. I hear the, the opposite where people say, I, I, I still have a lot to learn and, and a lot to improve, even though folks that have been doing it for 15, 20 years and they have the VP titles. I, I really like that. Curious for each of you, what was the transition from IC to management? What was your path? Did you have this? as like a clear goal as when you were say mid-level senior designer, or was it something you just happened to fall into and then had to figure it out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I fell into it as a senior designer when I realized that I could make more of an impact leading teams of designers than just being an IC, uh, and I shouldn't say just, it's perfectly fine, of course, to, to be an IC and lots of people choose to progress down that path. But for me, I really saw that as a way to be an impact multiplier. And I started off just by leading small teams of designers in a very informal way at the organization that I was at. I then started looking at the possibility of formalizing that into a management role. Unfortunately, at that particular organization, that was not an option at the time. So then I ended up changing organizations and going to a smaller one that allowed me to actually take on a formal design management role. Yeah, for me, it was a, a, a big goal that I set up way before I actually became a associate creative director. I was in big agencies and it was like before people started having different titles like creative directors or product 
uh, design directors, such as we were all called creative directors once you become a manager. So I was a senior art director for a long time and transitioning from that position to associate creative director took a long time for me. It makes sense because I was also a little bit scared at the time, even though I was ambitious because I, I wasn't from here. I'm from Korea and I've lived here for a long time, but just like I had to make sure that if I were ready at the time, because ambition didn't speak that much of my ability to present work to people. And also I had to make sure that I was very confident about what I was doing. And I was IC for a long time and being a manager was such a, a new territory. So definitely I was very scared too. Yeah, I'm actually curious, what were, what were some of those scary moments as you moved into management? And then how did you get better? What were, another thing I'm, I'm noticing right now is minor, only minority of companies have very clear support and career paths set up for their design teams. The majority just seem to throw themselves in and, and, and then sink and figure out. So I'm curious, was there, when you think back to the first time you were now a, a manager of a team, what were the hairy, scary moments? So for me, I knew that I, I, I could manage people, but I lived with the fake personality for a long time as an IC designer, because I'm very out, extroverted, very outgoing. I speak my mind, like not scared of uh, talking in front of other people. And just the scary thing was that speaking English as a second language, and that really made me feel really scared. What if I make mistakes? What if people don't understand me? Like it was just like back of my head all the time. So I acted like a very introverted person who don't speak for a long time. And then one day, one of my, one of the managers from executive group uh, kind of saw me struggling with my presentation for this Toastmasters club that my company had. And after that, he told me, he wanted to talk to me and he told me basically, Misuk, no worries. Everybody wants you to succeed. And everybody's here for you. You can make a mistake. Don't worry about it. We are all here to see you succeed. It's okay. And when I heard that, I was like, there was the moment. And I was like, okay, I'll be fine. I know what I want to talk about. I know I have a structure to talk about. And I was very sure that what I wanted to present was really meaningful and strong. So that was the beginning. <laughs> Love that. How about you, Dimitri? Yeah, so for myself, my first formal design management role was really me pushing my comfort zone in all kinds of ways. So I came in to start a design team at an organization that had no history of one. It was an AI machine learning startup, an incredibly complex product, lots of PhDs on staff, really not a lot of attention paid to the user experience as part of the company culture. And to top it all off, I was doing it all remotely. My first year was really just a constant trial by fire as I juggled the hats of a, a, a lead of a new team, building out the team, 
interviewing and hiring people while working as an IC, while um, trying to drive a culture change in the organization. All of this as one of the few remote employees in the organization. It was an incredible amount of work, incredible amount of stress. And it really took me probably a year to get to anything resembling being comfortable in this role. But it was, like I said, it was a trial by fire. I, I don't know if I would do it again <laughs> if I knew everything that this entailed, but it definitely helped me grow as a design manager very quickly. Yeah, that, that sounds like you, you literally put yourself in like the deepest of ends, right? When we say throw yourself in the deep end to, to learn the fastest, that, that sounds like a deeper end than, than most situations I, I definitely have been in. What, what, what are some of the things you wish you had known before you get yourself, yourself into management or leadership? And I think the underlying question here is, did you feel like that was, that should be your path or that's something you wanted, or would you have liked to explore maybe a few other options, a few different paths for you as a designer? So for me, like uh, I became a associate creative director in an organization where I have been there for a few years. So the transition, when the transition happened, people already knew who I was and what I could do. So I didn't really have difficult time there. But soon after I got promoted, I had some personal reasons to leave. And then I started a new job few months after, a year after, like I had to take time off a little bit because I had some head problems at the time. So when I started a new job at a new place, which was a lot smaller, and that's when I realized that I did not have any strong management skills or knew how to lead a team at a new place. I was really shocked. And the new designers like totally didn't, in my opinion at the time, probably because I was not a great leader or a strong leader at all. And they knew and saw my weakness. And I just went through a lot of difficult challenges to overcome. And that's when I realized, that, oh, I wish I studied a little bit more about how to lead a team, how to manage people, and spend more time to really understand leadership uh, skills and practice. It's hard, but that experience made me invest in learning about becoming a better leader quickly. But it was a really surprise, like it was a huge surprise. I had a similar experience uh, a couple of years after going down the path of management where I realized that my management skills were less than adequate for the challenges before me. And I think that my realization, uh, my big realization there was that there was no one size fits all management style. So. Uh, Naturally, I tend to over-index on being a mentor or a coach to my team members. I, I'm a big believer in hiring good people and then getting out of their way. But at one point in my management career, I realized that was just not sufficient either to deal with folks who were not performing well or with team members who really 
needed more direction and more feedback on their performance than I was comfortable with giving. And so that has really led me to adopt a more contextual management and leadership style. I appreciate you both sharing that. Um, curious, what is what is your what does your typical day look like these days? Generally, my days are like three parts. Like as soon as I wake up, I actually try to spend some time to study. Like actually, I'm studying leadership skills with the uh, Michigan Ross uh, executive program. Just like very small, tiny classes. Or I take some courses from LinkedIn or read new things I wanted to read. So that's what I do. And then I start working. Generally, there are some stand-up meetings almost every day. I'm freelancing currently. I'm about to start my time job. But this place, we do have client meetings like uh, once a week and have to work on different projects. And then around noon you know i have to feed my kid and work all day and then the end of the day i also generally monday through wednesday i mentor i'm a member of adp list so i started getting a lot of membership requests so i try to make sure that i have time for uh, mentoring people and it's actually a great opportunity for me because i get to learn a lot about all different kinds of people and sometimes I'm related to them, but sometimes I just learn from their own challenges and it makes me think about, it just makes me expand my experience with the people and different situations. So I do that. I guess that's about it. And I enjoy my life after 6 p.m. Yeah, uh, a little bit similar of a schedule, although no day is quite exactly the same. I am on Eastern time. I work with a lot of folks who are on Central and Pacific time in North America, as well as a few who are in Europe and a few who are in Australia. What that affords me is the ability to spend my first 30 to 60 minutes every day learning, doing reading, understanding what's going on in my organization what's going on in the industry, keeping up with that sort of thing. And then I, I dive into my actual work, reviewing designs, reviewing artifacts from product management, things that engineering might have built, and so on and so forth, providing feedback. And later on in the morning to the afternoon, my day becomes completely filled with meetings of all kinds, whether it's one-on-ones, team meetings, critiques, leadership syncs, syncs with folks in other product areas or in other functions. And, and then, like you said, 6 p.m. rolls around and it's time to wrap up for the day and then do it all over again the next day. I do some mentoring as well through the Play-Doh platform. I, I tend to book about 30 minutes every couple of weeks for a mentoring time slot. And that really allows me to give back a little bit to folks earlier on in their careers or folks who are curious about what a design leader does. Awesome. And to wrap this up, I'd love to know, thinking back to when you entered the design industry and the state that it was at the time, what excites you about the future of design as an industry? I personally have met so many incredible folks that are just graduating that so impressive and I can see them being future leaders. How are you thinking about that and what, what's exciting for you? 
Yeah, I think for me, it is very much the next generation of designers and next generation of design leaders that excites me. And the reason for that is because they have the opportunity to build on what previous generations have done and stand up on the shoulders, not of giants, because I think that's a very <laughs> egotistical thing to say, but stand on the shoulders who those who of, of those who came before them and really i think learn from the lessons of design leaders of the last however many years in terms of making design a core function within organizations making design a strategic partner to other functions like engineering and product management and really build on top of that with skill sets that are often very multidisciplinary that often span uh, traditional design disciplines as well as technical disciplines as well as business and entrepreneurship and so on and so forth to to really take the field to the next level and to really get us to the point where in 10 or 20 years we don't even need to advocate for design as a core function within organizations. We don't need to advocate for a seat at the table. The strategic relevance of design is crystal clear and we can really scale our impact. Yeah, I get extremely inspired by a lot of young designers because they're very vocal, like the ones I've experienced in New York area and also like my current contracting work, the agencies in Colorado, and they hire designers from like Canada, all over the world and America. And one thing I noticed about them is that they are very vocal about their value. And one of them told me she worked in at a very well-known, very famous place, and she did not like it at all because she realized that her value was not aligned to what the company was doing. And I was really like impressed because that's something that I still struggle when I look for a new job, new opportunity. I get so alert by these big names and also like this like very superficial thing. Oh, what if people see me getting a job from this place instead of that place oh they might look me down which is doesn't make any sense that's not why you are a designer and like when i hear this kind of decisions that these young designers made i'm like i'm very impressed by them and i also tell them that you are influencing me like you're helping me make better decision about my path as well and money is important but it's really important for all of us to do what we want to do that is aligned with our personal values and vision. I embrace the whole this getting a seat in the at a company that's equal to business strategist or other uh, executive decision makers. I embrace that design is very valuable and design thinking is very important. And I've been embracing it in my entire career because I, I knew that it was very important. But at the same time, I start seeing a little bit of a downside of that that really makes me worry is that because designers start thinking like business people, which is important, 
actually designers are losing what designers do really well. And especially product design world, I noticed that the quality of product design is not, it's not really there. A lot of product designers actually don't, didn't really learn about typography or the fundamental design things that we studied at school. And all those things are valuable because they are based on many studies and psychology studies. Certain typographic decisions, you don't need to do A-B testing because it's been proven. But a lot of young designers actually don't know that. And and but they're great business thinker, the way they make decisions, the way they research sharp, like sharper than me, like a lot of times. But like I keep worrying about this core thing that designers are supposed to do. And that's something I worry about. In my opinion, like business skills are extremely important, but you don't have to do it. You can partner with the business people who can do, but you can influence. But as a designer, that doesn't have to be your core thing. At the core of creative people, we need to be creative. So that's something I think about a lot. Industry-wise, the exciting thing about being a designer is that you never know. So many things are changing all the time. So I don't know what's going to come next. That's the most exciting thing. Yeah, for sure. This past year has exposed so much and so many things have changed. And after the initial, I think, shock, of the first couple of months of the pandemic, then just all of these new technologies and companies started springing up. And here we are recording a podcast remotely when we used to do this in person just a couple of years ago. And, and I love that both of you mentioned being inspired by the younger generation. I've actually accepted a couple of more junior folks into the fellowship because I just couldn't not give them a place when when I met them. They were just miles and light years ahead of, of folks and more more experienced folks that, that I've met. Wanted to give them the opportunity. Everyone has a unique uh, perspective and a story. Thank you both so much for doing this experiment with me today and just jumping on at short notice. We'll wrap it up here and excited to hopefully turn this into a series with, uh, with some incredible designers. Thank you both. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's so great.